Okay, Daniel 9, verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by Desanna Mede, who was making king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, Belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. But now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake. O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture, Father, which we've been gleaning from now for some time. And Father, we recognize each time we do, uh, it is quite amazing what we find, Father, the fruit that we're picking off this vine is such wonderful fruit. And Father, we recognize that again this morning, Lord, um, this fruit uh, is indeed, uh, indeed refreshing and nutritious for our prayer life. So Father, we ask that you, Lord, would communicate your word to us this morning, Father. 
that, Lord, you would be pleased to speak to us uh, in a way, Father, that uh, uh, truly meets us where we are, in a way that only you can, O oh, Father. So we look to, uh, we look to hear you, O oh, Father. We look, to, uh, we look to be changed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, so it's time for prayer. And you go into your, your prayer closet or wherever it is that you pray. And uh, you sit down and uh, you start to pray and nothing. Has anybody ever had that experience? How many honest people do we have? Okay. I was hoping I wasn't the only one. What do we say? Sometimes we don't know what to say. Or have you ever had this experience? You go and pray and all you have really is, I mean, you've got poor Aunt Mary's back and you've got Uncle Ed's knees and you've got the Miller family who's out of work and you have, um, you know, you have all of these nagging problems at work that you need help with and, and, uh, uh, and that's it. Um, now, please don't misunderstand me. I, I chose these examples, these fictitious examples, uh, carefully. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me that we shouldn't pray for that stuff. These are all very viable concerns, you know. My grandfather, his legs hurt him terribly. And when, you know, when he asked for prayer for those legs, I took that very seriously. Uh, these are all very serious concerns. But if that is the sum total of our prayers, then something's really wrong, isn't it? Because our prayer really is a series of petitions for a comfortable life, which we're not really promised, are we? I mean, we've just got done praying for two families that are, I mean, 2016, my goodness. It's off to an awful start, isn't it? Some of us have had that experience before, haven't we? It's not easy. You know, I... As I was writing this, as I was thinking of this introduction, you know, I couldn't help. I just kept thinking of this service I did years ago. And I don't want to mention where the service was because that would be unkind. But when I did that service, I did a, uh, I took prayer requests during the service. And uh, there was a man that I had been ministering to. I'd met in our music store. And he agreed to come to that service. And we had agreed beforehand that, that we would get together after the service and talk. And I had been sharing the gospel with him off and on for several months. And, and when it came time for the, the, to ask for prayer concerns, uh, I mean, this service especially struck me. The, the prayer concerns really was what I have later termed a, a my knee hurts prayer concern. I mean, I took prayer concerns for some of the most trivial things. And... Um, it caught my attention as I was doing it. I was actually kind of wishing I wouldn't have done it. I would have just went into the sermon. But afterwards, uh, when I caught up with this fellow that wanted to talk with me, <laughs> his first thing he said to me, he said, now, I, I got a question for you. I'm like, okay. I was prepared for that because he wanted to talk, and I knew some of the questions. Some of you know. You know the questions probably aren't going to be real easy. And he said to me, he says, now you believe that when you die, you go to heaven, right? That's what you guys believe, right? I said, well, that's the promise for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he was like, but what was like up with those prayers? 
And I said, well, what do you mean? And I kind of did know what he meant, but I wanted him to flesh that out a little further. He goes, I could have never gotten the impression that you're waiting for eternal life based on the prayer request that I heard. Uh, this man was so insightful, you know. How would you respond to that, by the way? He, he was so, so insightful. And I, I can remember, you know, Ch Charles Spurgeon used to say, you need to be very fussy about who preaches in your assemblies, but you need to be even more fussy about who prays in them. We usually don't think that way, do we? Like, okay, everybody can pray, right? We just need a good guy that can preach, but what about the prayer? I can tell you right now, praying in a place like this is more challenging than preaching in it. Much more challenging. Why? Because as you listen to me pray Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, Believe it or not, your prayer life is being molded after the way you hear me pray all the time. If I were sitting there and I were listening with you to someone else pray Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, my prayer life would be being shaped and molded by the same. That's why it's so vitally important. How do we pray? I mean, how we pray is so very, very important. Daniel has given us an incredible lesson uh, on this very thing. And in fact, we've already seen Daniel's prayer is radically different. I mean, let's contrast some of our own private prayers and let's contrast many of the prayers we've heard with what we've just read in Daniel 9. You, 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 see, you see the difference. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to go around comparing uh, myself to Daniel. I will never measure up to Daniel. I don't want to go around, for that matter, I don't want to go around uh, comparing myself to anyone. The Apostle Paul warns us about that, doesn't he? We don't compare ourselves to one another. Right? That's not the point here. But there is a lesson here we need. Uh, as we look at this prayer, it's radically different than what we typically hear and what we typically utter uh, ourselves, isn't it? And if what we saw last week was that Daniel is deeply in this posture of repentance. And we have seen over and over again that Daniel is a man of exceptional godliness and piety. Yet it's kind of striking that he includes himself in this prayer of repentance, doesn't he? You know, if you look at verse 5 with me, just for sake of review, where we were last week, you know, he says in verse 5, we, see that? We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. You know, sin is what separates us from God, and, and misery is the effect of sin. And last week, we spent some time talking about repentance, because what... Uh, you know, what is commonly uh, taken for repentance today is not repentance at all. Repentance is not sorry for the misery that the sin in our lives has brought us. That's not what repentance is. Everyone's sorry when they make themselves miserable. Repentance, biblical repentance, that's, that's I know. Biblical repentance is sorrow because we have offended God. If we keep Psalm 51 and verse 4 in our minds, we'll do well. What's, da what's David say there? Against you, O Lord, have I sinned. And against you only. We talked about that last week. David had committed this horrible, horrible, horrible crime. And he's not denying the fact that he has sinned against Israel and he sinned against others. But ultimately, his violations were against the holy and just God. You see, and this is what changes us. You see, as we begin to see our sin in this light, we can't continue in it any longer, can we? 
Not like we used to, with an ease of conscience. Because we realize that when we do this, we're sinning against a loving, holy, and just God. We can't do that. That's biblical repentance. And that's why we look for changes after someone has repented. When we hear repentance or when we, we come alongside of someone who wants to repent, uh, don't jump up and down right away when you hear these things. I used to do that. And uh, that can be very dangerous for the person who's repenting because you can give them a false sense of security that they, have, that they have entered in a state of grace when in actuality they, they haven't. You, you stand back and you wait a while. Uh, you give them the promises. Listen, for those who have come to Christ Jesus, his blood washes our sins. His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Show them 1 John 1, 9. Take them to those great promises that we have. Uh, but don't, uh, uh, don't jump up and down just yet. Walk with them and, 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 and see if there's not a change in, in the life. We're not, we're not looking for perfection here, but see if there isn't a change in life. Now, this morning I want to pick up right where we left off. And I, I want to I, I look at what's guiding Daniel's prayer. You know, with the introduction, you know, you go into your prayer closet and you go to pray. And, <laughs> okay, there's nothing guiding you, is there? If you had something guiding you, you would be silent. Now, Daniel, what's guiding Daniel? I mean, is he pulling these words straight from within, or is there another source? Uh, well, for starters, we can see, you can read from these pages, that this is a heartfelt prayer. There's no question about that. Uh, Daniel's heart is very much involved, but Daniel's not pulling this from within. Now, I've never heard anyone in this assembly talk this way, but I know it's a, a, it's a common thing where people uh, will, will believe, whether they state it or not, that true prayer is this idea of getting yourself uh, uh, really worked up, if you will, so that you can really truly express from the inward heart um, uh, your desires to God. And uh, I, that's not what Daniel's doing here at all. I want to show you that that's not what Daniel is doing here. It, let's, let's look at how this prayer begins. If we go back to verses, verse 2, rather. You know, in the first year of his reign, whose reign? Uh, Darius's reign. You know, Babylon has just been sacked by the Medes and Persians. You know, if you remember, Babylon is the, is the, is the, uh, the nation that came in and ransacked Jerusalem. Now Babylon... You know, they ransacked Jerusalem. Now Babylon's got their day. And the Medes and Persians have come in and sacked Babylon. And in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to what? The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Daniel's been pouring over the word of God. And he has stumbled over a promise in the word of God. That concerns these 70 years. 70 years must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. So you see, Daniel's not pulling this from within. His heart's involved. Don't misunderstand me. His heart's very much involved because his heart's embracing the promise. Because he's speaking out of a heart that loves God. He's speaking out of a heart that, that, that longs for God's glory. His heart is involved here. But this is not coming and originating completely from within. It's coming from the word of God, you see. It's coming from the word of God. 
And notice how Daniel addresses the Lord in verse 4. If you look at verse 4 with me, he says, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Do you see that? His address to the Lord, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Where does he get that from? Well, I want you to look, look at the words that I just read in verse 4. Look at those words while I read a verse from Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, which Daniel would have had access to. Listen to Daniel, or Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. She's pulling it right out of Deuteronomy 7, 9. See, he's learned this. He's learned this from his study of the word of God. That's where this is coming from. This is how God has revealed himself. And Daniel picks up on the way God has revealed himself. And that's how, God, that's how Daniel is addressing God. He's addressing God in the same way God has revealed himself. Now, uh, this address, we'll see here, is actually a theme that really is at the center of what Daniel's really repenting of. If you look again at verse 4, Daniel says, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who what? Who keeps covenant. See that? Now, if you think, have that thought in mind, look down to verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near, those who are far, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. You see that in verse 7? So the issue here is the treachery committed against the Lord. That's the issue. Okay, what treachery? Look down a little bit further to verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your law. You see this? He's still in the word of God here. He's transgressed your law. And turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath written in the law of Moses has been poured out upon us. And as we've seen in, in earlier studies, Daniel is interpreting everything that's happening through the lenses of Scripture. Uh, what we have here is a reference to what we call the Mosaic Covenant. It's a covenant that God makes with Israel right after he delivers them out of Egypt. He brings them out into the wilderness, out into the desert. He makes a covenant with them. They agree to the covenant. They agree that they're going to keep his laws. And then this covenant is reiterated just before they enter into the promised land. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy 27, 28, and 29. And in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, Moses, as he's reiterating the covenant, he presents the covenant blessings. If you keep the covenant with God, he pronounces all these blessings. They're absolutely wonderful blessings. I mean, you can read about all of those blessings. But he also when he's re reiterating the covenant with Israel, he presents the covenant curses. Should they breach the covenant, should they break the covenant, they can count on these curses. Should they keep the covenant, they can count on the blessings. You see. Now, uh, because of this, Daniel proclaims, if you look at... Um, 
fact, let's back up just for a moment. If we look at verse 12, he confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole of heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. Now, what's Daniel saying in verse 12? He's saying, well, he's, yeah, he, he promised these curses and he's brought these curses upon us just like he promised that he would do. And then uh, because of this, Daniel proclaims in verse 13 what we would normally retreat from in our culture. We would touch this with a 10-foot pole. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, partway through the verse, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. What is Daniel referring to here? It's easy for us to lose this because, you know, we weren't living in, in Jerusalem when Babylon came in there. And listen, I mean, when Babylon came in to ransack Jerusalem, um, they did things to, to the people of Israel that I'm not even going to mention to you this morning. I, I really don't like it when preachers get all gory and they get like, I really don't like that, especially when it's not necessary. It's not necessary for me to get into that this morning, so I'm not going to get into that. If you're curious, as I've said in some other messages, you could go to Psalm 137 at the very end of the psalm, and you could, you could read the psalm where the, the psalmist is lamenting over the things that took place and is asking for, for justice to be done to the people of Babylon. You can get a little taste of it there. Uh, there's other places in the scriptures where you can go and you can... You can look at these things, but terrible things took place. Uh, terrible, terrible things took place. Yet, yet, what's Daniel say? For the Lord our God is righteous in all our works. He raised Babylon up to sack them. And Daniel is saying he is righteous. Why is he righteous? Because he had promised. If there was a breach of the covenant, this is what would happen. He had promised the blessings. He had promised the curses. Now, it's a good place right now, I think, as any to stop and make application right now. I mean, the modern church has created a God, and I want to use the lowercase g here, lowercase g. The modern church has created a God that's too nice for this stuff. Uh, he would never do that. And it's caused a mass rejection of the Old Testament. I talk to people all the time. People say, oh, New Testament, I'm okay with that Old Testament. I don't want nothing to do with that. Because it's, it's, just, it's assumed that God's too nice to this. That God, that God is not wrathful. Well, you know, the truth is the New Testament presents God as, as wrathful as well. Let's think of last week's scripture memory verse. We can make an, an application here right now. What's Jesus say in Luke 13, 5? He says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will what? You will all likewise perish. Now, that's, that has a covenant blessing and a covenant curse embedded in it. The blessing is implied. What's implied? If you do repent, you're going to enjoy the covenant blessings. That's implied by the negative. What's the negative? If you don't repent, you're going to what? You're going to perish. Now, just as much as you can count on all of the blessings of heaven, and all of the promises of eternal bliss for those who are in Christ Jesus, you can equally count on Jesus to make good on this promise should you not repent of your sins. That's exactly what he's going to do. It's hard for us uh, as we have created this God with this lowercase g. It's too nice for these things. Listen, we need to think again if we think that way. Jesus embraced the Old Testament, by the way. 
as the word of God everywhere in the Gospels. So how can we reject that when Jesus embraced it as the word of God? And Jesus claimed to be the God of the Old Testament. Amen? So what's guiding Daniel's thoughts here? Back on, our, back on our focus here. What's guiding his thoughts as he prays? The word of God is guiding his thoughts. And for this reason, we should always have our Bibles near when we pray. But more specifically, more specifically, let's have the promises of God around when we pray. Now, what do I, what do I mean by that? Well, I want to bring this to a... Uh, I want to put all this together with an example. Uh, I've been praying for some time about forming a prayer team for a specific purpose. I'd made a mention, I didn't make a lot of it out of, uh, at our last session meeting, but I just mentioned it maybe in a sentence or two. I probably should have talked about it a little bit more, but a prayer team for the sake of outreach. Uh, this would be a, a group of people who uh, would, would be interested in stepping up and praying for all of the outreach is taking place. That would include the sermon that's being preached right now as it goes out on the internet. That would include the Bible study. That would include all of our personal uh, witnessing that we're doing and evangelism that we're doing because there's really a lot going on here. Some of you will come up and tell me all this stuff. You're all excited that you had this little Bible study going. And, you know, we need to undergird that with prayer. That needs to, that needs to be bathed in prayer. Um, I'm going to flesh that out here in just a second. But before I do, this, this prayer group uh, will have to have a specific purpose. It'll have to be stated, and it'll have to be restated, and it'll have to be restated, and it'll have to be restated and restated. Why? If we, if, if we don't, it will erode into just another prayer group. And what I'm thinking about here is not another meeting. We don't have time. No, most of us don't have time for another meeting. What I'm thinking about is a group of people who are stepping forward and saying, you know what, I want to take this on. I want to be part of these prayer requests. I want to be part of, of praying. I want to be part of doing this. Uh, you do it in your own time. You co we covenant with one another to do it uh, in our own time. I think that's the only way it will work with our schedules as busy as they are. Uh, but the focus is on outreach. Um, uh, it doesn't mean if you get on... You become part of this, you can't pray for other things, but uh, you'd, be, you'd be covenanting to pray specifically for outreach. Does that make sense? Now, let's suppose all of us agreed to do this. I'm not saying that all of us should agree to do this. The only person that should agree to do this is the person who wants to really get involved in this. That's the only person that should agree to do this. But let's suppose we all did. We all stepped up, and we went into our prayer closet, and we're going to pray for outreach. How do we pray like Daniel's praying? What do we do? We take our Bibles into our closets with us, but more specifically, we take the promises of God with us. Let's, think of, let's just think of a couple of them. Let's think of uh, Matthew 16, where Jesus says, I will what? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we got a promise. Jesus has promised he's going to build his church. And he is going to build his church. This is no, it's, it's not a question. That's going to happen. So here we have this promise. And we're coming alongside with this promise. It's the same kind of thing that Daniel's doing, isn't it? He has this promise that there's going to be 70 years of desolation. 
Okay, he's not just going to sit back and wait for God to restore Israel. He's got the promise. He's in the prayer closet with the promise. He's saying, oh Lord, I see the 70 years here. Now restore Israel. It's time for repentance. Restore us. You see, the prayer is part of the whole overall thing. A lot of times we can get in our minds, okay, Christ has promised to build his church. He's going to do this. He's going to do this with his wealth. Listen, our prayers are ordained in all of this. They're very much a part of this. If we want people to come to faith, we've got to be praying for them. Listen, when I came to faith, there were people praying for me. I discovered it later. I didn't know it at the time, but I discovered it later. And what I've discovered over the years is every time people come to faith, someone's out there praying for them. Prayer is a huge part of reaching out. So this is an exciting thing. We go into the closet. We got our, we got our promise. Okay, we got Matthew 16, 18. Okay, uh, let's think about this one. Ephesians 6, verses 18 and 19, which we're going to be studying here in a few months. I figure we got uh, a couple more messages in Daniel 9 and then a couple more messages after that. And we're going to be wrapping Daniel up. And then we're going to be going to Ephesians 6, where we're going to do our study in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. We'll eventually get to these verses where the Apostle Paul calls the church. And verse 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for, uh, for all the Lord's people. Now listen to verse 19. You're in your prayer closet. You got Matthew, you got Matthew 16, 18. And now you got, you got Ephesians 6, 19. The Apostle Paul says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. You see the role of prayer here? Who's asking for this? The Apostle Paul, the great church planter, who's never been surpassed, is asking the church to pray the man who knows the gospel backwards, ups. He's the one who wrote Romans. And he's asking the church to pray that he would have the words to communicate the gospel with. How much more do we need this kind of prayer? You see how exciting this gets? Now you're sitting in your prayer room with the very promises and truth and injunctions of the Holy One of Israel. And as you pray these things, you're praying God's word, God's thoughts, God's intentions right after him. You can expect things to happen as this takes place. Your prayer might sound something like this. Oh, Lord, you've promised to build your church. Jesus has promised to build a church. And we see all kinds of opposition, but Jesus has made it really clear. He's greater than all that. He said even, not even hell itself could prevail against the church. Build your church, oh, Lord. Build your church. Build your church. And then you start adding names. And we've asked prayer for, for you know, for Missy. Missy is, uh, you know, she's seeking. Father, build your church. Give, uh, you know, give Alex the words to communicate here. You, you see how this works? You just make this into your own words. So we don't have to sit there without anything to say, do we? As you start doing this, you're going to discover there's lots to say. And I'm only going to give you a couple of verses because, uh, oh, let me give you one more. I mean, you could, you could thumb through the Psalms and you could say, uh, you could add this. You could add Psalm 143, verse 1, uh, which reads, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my pleas for mercy. You know, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ears to my pleas for mercy. But, but more importantly, I don't want to give you too many verses because I want you to have the fun 
of praying in your closet with your Bible open and the Holy Spirit leading you to verses because that's what he's going to do. And he's going to show you things in God's word you never imagined were there as you pray. Does it sound exciting or what? This will totally transform. So it's time to pray. We go into our prayer room and what do we say? We let the word of God guide us, don't we? We take our prayer list and we take the word of God. And we just page through the Psalms. We look for some words of praise and we start by praising, praising God. We address him in ways that he reveals himself to us as. And then we take those promises and we pray those promises. Father, bring those promises to, to fruition. Bring those promises to fruition in my family and in our neighborhood. Bring those promises to fruition in this valley, oh Father. We pray in Jesus' precious name. May the Holy Spirit transform our prayer life. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, this great word we have in Daniel 9. And Father, we still have not exhausted what's there, Father. There's still so much to look at. Well, Father, we pray that, Lord, you would be pleased to allow these truths, Father, to permeate deeply into our hearts, Father. That we would see our individual prayer lives transformed, Father. That, Father... We truly would be brought in to be part of this great work that Christ is doing. That, uh, Father, we would learn where these blessings and these promises are and learn where uh, these injunctions are in your word and that we begin taking ownership of them and praying them. And Father, we do thank you and praise you that, Lord, it has been your good pleasure to bring us, uh, to involve us in this great work that you're doing. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.